Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. We are continuing our conversation about Lone Star Search and Rescue. I just got done speaking with director and co-founder, Captain Terry Benjamin. We move now to the other co-founder. Michelle Benjamin is the captain of the K-9 unit for Lone Star Search and Rescue. And as I mentioned, a co-founder and a trainer... A trainer, exactly. Okay. Yes. <laughs> you do a lot for this organization, so I, I want to make sure that I get everything <laughs> correct. Uh, thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Nick. Excellent. All right. So when I found out about this organization, I got really excited. Stuff like this is fascinating to me. I think that the work that you do is interesting, and there's also kind of a pop culture kind of element to this that you, you see it in the movies, mm-hmm. and you don't really think that, you, you know, you see old guys with bloodhounds trying to find Cool Hand Luke, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, and to a certain extent, that's kind of what you do, but this is the elite pro style of that. It's it's moved away from guys in overalls and bloodhounds <laughs> into the organization that you guys have, which is Lone Star Search and Rescue. So let's first talk about basics. What does this organization do? Uh, we actually will assist um, calling agencies, which would be the police department, the fire department, anybody who's leading um, an incident where somebody goes missing. And we're one of their resources. So as they need assistance from dogs, they'll actually call our team out to come out and help find that missing person. Do you guys stick to the North Texas area or are you willing to go anywhere? Um, we primarily want to stay in North Texas just because of response time. Um, our goal is to get someplace within an hour, no more than two if possible. Um, um, but we have been called out to uh, major disasters like the Wimberley floods mm-hmm. down, you know, down south. Uh, we actually attended that, but that was over several days. Right. I didn't even think about that. So for you guys, getting there within a maximum of two hours is ideal? Um, ideal. Traditionally, though, uh, or more frequently, we're there within an hour or less. Just, again, depends on the location of the search. Is it just that scent particles go away? Why is that such a crucial window? It's the um, health and safety of the victim. So if there's a missing person out there, um, our number one goal is to get to them quickly. We'll do that safely, obviously, but uh, the quicker we can get to them, the higher likelihood we can bring them out alive. Your husband and co-founder was in the military. Tracking has been a part of his life, uh, as well as being in law enforcement. He seems fit for this job. It makes sense (laughs) from a professional standpoint. But he didn't have any experience with dogs. As I was saying off air, I'm guessing that you were the one that had the experience with dogs. Well, actually, not really. And you'll find this interesting because, um, you know, as he said, really anybody can do this that has a passion, you know, to help people. And I had no background in tracking or any of that. um, Really? uh, In that um, I actually learned it through him. I volunteered on the previous team for a couple of years um, before they asked me to join. And I was actually a flanker for most of that time. And the flanker role is really interesting because it gave me a wide view of different types of dog teams Mm. you know how different dogs worked how different handlers worked Um, and it got to a point where I think I could do that too and uh, and we'd always had dogs my husband and I and uh, and so I knew about dogs um, but I what I learned about training dogs came from that team what made you want to be a part of this 
to begin with? Um, just to, I, I really liked um, what the general purpose of the team was, which was to help people. Um, uh, we don't realize how many people go missing every year, and uh, and time is such a critical factor with that. And um, you know, we we train very very hard to make sure that we adhere to national standards. So we follow NASAR. We call it NASAR. It's National Association for Search and Rescue, and they've developed a great standard of of certifications that we follow to get our teams and our dogs trained to a level that they can go find missing people. And it has always, it was just something that attracted me and, and what the ultimate goal is, is to, is to get to that missing person, or at least if nothing else, give comfort to the family that, you know, that their, their missing person has come home. Right. Yeah. How, how long have you been doing this? Oh gosh. Um, about 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you started off with no search and rescue or, or dog background, <laughs> exactly. you then start as a flanker, uh-huh. and then you the... moved into being on the dog team, Correct. and then you took an even further jump yep. into being <laughs> able to train these dogs. Exactly. When did you—that seems to be something completely different. When did you know that you wanted to actually participate in training these dogs, being responsible um, for them? Well, in, in the previous team, we were part of that. I was part of that for 10 years. Terry was part of that for quite a bit longer. Mm. Um, and as I became a handler, um, uh, you know, I loved, you know, being able to take a new dog and, and see that excitement. It's almost like when your child walks for the first time. Um, you get that same feeling when you see your dog use their nose for the first time for your behalf. Now, like Terry said, a dog knows how to smell, but when they finally use that nose to smell somebody that's hiding from them, it's it's the best thing in the world and the best feeling in the world, and I love that. And I loved that partnership that the handler and the canine develop. It's almost like you share the same brain. In fact, Terry's first partner, we used to call um, Terry, Harry Terry, or his partner, Hoss, Harry Terry, because they literally shared the same brain. Um, and that's what it, it just, I just got the bug and I got the love of doing this and wanted to explore more, um, including helping other handlers have that same experience. Did you go to a school? Is there a certification? You said NASAR? NASAR. 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 Yeah, it's all through NASAR. So it's all the training that we've developed through that. And so I, I was certified by another instructor, right? And that got me certified uh, or gave me the ability and the training to be able to certify others. How long did that take? Oh, gosh. Um, three years, I guess, um, initially. Really? Um, before we started this team. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Just it's, to be a trainer. Just, just to be, to be a, a trainer. Train. Yeah. Well, and but but I actually, you, you, you know, as you become a certified handler, um, you are actually called upon quite frequently to help other other teams, right? So the instructors will actually, you know, hey, can you help run this dog team there? So you learn by doing, and that's everything. You know, Terry talked earlier about everybody that comes to our team comes on as a flanker because we want you to have that experience of different situations, right, and be able to see how the handler works with the dog and then be able to see what happens, right, in those different scenarios. And and you don't have to be a handler to be a part of the team. Um, you know, that happens to be what I do and several of us do, but we have a lot of committed members who just are a flanker um, or want to run our ATV team or want to be in the command post running radios, you know. So you don't have to be that handler, but, but for me, that was my where I developed my passion for the work is is what I can do with a dog, developing that partnership, working with police or fire to go out and help find a missing person. Let's talk about the training of the dogs. Sure. You are now this certified trainer. Sure. 
Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Do you need to start with a puppy? Where does this process for the dog start? Sure. Um, uh, you can start as a puppy. Um, matter of fact, most of our dogs do that are rescued. Is it easier to do that? Um, it is easier in the sense that they haven't, you don't have to unteach, you know, you know, behavior that may not be ideal for us. Um, but we typically want a dog that's no older than two, only because it can take a year and a half to two years before you're certified. Mm. And you want to have a good five, six, seven years, hopefully, right, um, to train with that dog. So that's why we ask that if anybody that wants to be a part of the team as a handler, um, make sure that your dog's no older than two. Um, and a dog will will decide when it's time for them to retire. I was just going to ask. Yes, exactly. And usually it's about 10, could be nine. It just depends on the dog. When they're ready to be done with this, then they're going to be done. <laughs> are they? Are, is it just time to be lazy for these dogs? Yeah. <laughs> or are, are, they, are their senses not as acute? Their senses are, are acute. They just lose that desire or they don't have that desire as much. You know, like Haas, um, uh, uh, we had him until he was 15. Mm -hmm. But at 10, he decided, he started when he was two. And by 10, he's like, I don't want to, you know, he just, it wasn't fun for him anymore. Is it, is it surprising when that happens with the dogs or you have such a special relationship with these animals. Do you see it coming? Um, uh, Terry said he saw it coming in Haas just because he didn't have that same, you know, bust out of the gate when you gave him the find command. Um, uh, and you could, he could tell that he was getting to a point where he didn't want to do it anymore. And then plus, you know, as dogs get older, it's harder to move around as much, you know, their knees, you know, kind of have problems with those. And so it's just, again, those factors, you know, combined just doesn't make it fun for them. It seems kind of funny. It's almost like athletes <laughs> that retire after a certain age. Exactly. Like, I'm done. I just can't do it. My knees are bad. I just, I'm done. Exactly. Done with basketball. Exactly. With as much training as they go through and as big of a part of this is going to be for their lives, is it one of those things where once a search and rescue dog always a search and rescue dog, even when they're just kind of pit pattering around the house? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They always have that passion for it. And even with Haas, we would do like little, you know, little fun little searches for him, even though like I might be behind the couch or behind a wall, you know, mm -hmm. just because they still love that. Right. They just still, you know, even though he doesn't want to go out and do a long search or whatever, he, he, it's something, uh, uh, I guess it's a um, a skill that he'll just never, you know, he would never lose. And that's with any search dog. When I think about dogs that would be good at this, I would assume Retriever would show up somewhere <laughs> in there, but I don't necessarily think that's true. What kind of dogs are good for this? Well, it really doesn't matter. The breed doesn't matter. The only thing that— Are there breeds that are better? Um, retrievers are great dogs, Border Collies. Um, uh, you know, gosh, Terry's got a Rhodesian. Um, I've got an Australian Shepherd. My my uh, uh, dog is Charlie. She's a three-year-old Australian Shepherd, um, and she loves it. But we've got um, a Katahua mix. We've got German Shepherds. Um, but it really doesn't matter. We really look at the size of the dog. Um, we, we want a medium to a large dog only because of the stamina. Uh, little dogs tend to have a problem, if, you know, on long searches especially, or if it's deep brush that we're trying to break through. Um, they just don't tend to last as long. Um, so we really look at that medium to, you know, larger Dotson dog. Dotson might be kind of uh, tough to take out in the field. Uh, <laughs> yes. Trying to, trying, to find, <laughs> trying to find somebody. Um, is there a dog that's too big for this? 
Um, we've, we've actually had, I can't remember the type, but it was one of the really big, big hairy dogs. Mm-hmm. And that could be a concern just with their, again, their stamina. Do they have, are they acclimated to the heat? You know, cause we do work out in the heat. Um, and you know, can they go on long searches and can they climb across debris, that kind of stuff. So again, it depends on the dog, but we'll, you know, we always say, as Terry said, you know, it's one in a thousand dogs, but there's a specific test that we go through to test if they have the drive and the personality to want to do this work. It's not something we can force the dog to do. It's it's every everything that we do is based on positive reinforcement and we make it fun for them. As Terry mentioned, that party and we want to be able to we want a dog that is driven by that party and they'll do anything to get that reward and that praise, right? And, mm-hmm. and make it fun for them. Um, and that's what we look for. Michelle Benjamin is the K9 unit captain for Lone Star Search and Rescue. Their website, LoneStarSAR.org. In the previous interview, maybe the biggest thing that I got from that, which the most surprising, let's say, mm-hmm. was you're looking at about one in a thousand for dogs that are going to be good for this. I would have thought that any dog can be taught how to do this. You just have to have a good trainer. Right. Okay. You guys are saying the exact opposite of mm-hmm. that. What separates yeah. these dogs as, as being better at this? Well, it, again, it's, 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 does the dog want to do this work? Are they motivated by the praise that they get by doing this work? And um, you'll have dogs that will do it because you command them to do it, right? So when we do a test, we can tell the difference between a dog who is an independent thinker, right, wants to get out front and wants to go and do their job because they like that praise, right? And then the dog that will do it because you're commanding them to do it. That's not the dog we want, right? Because that's a dog that that could get scared and could get skittish in different situations. Mm. And in searches, it's loud. There's lots of lights. There's lots of noise. There's lots of things going on, lots of people going around. It's a very stressful situation. And and the dogs that, that we typically have are those that are comfortable in any situation, right? And so that's why it's, it's you know, it's a rare type of dog that can actually do search and rescue. How do you figure this out? Um, we have uh, different tests that we go through. Um, one of them, which is kind of funny, we put a towel over their head, right? And, and, and if they just kind of sit there and shaking and scared, then that's not a dog for us. We want that dog to hmm, not like that towel and shake to get it off or do something to get that towel off of them. And so we'll do various exercises like that that tell us, do they have the independence, do they have the drive and the personality to want to be able to do this job? I was going to say, if you're trying to get a soldier... Uh, to do his job, you may not want a lot of personality sometimes because you want to mold them a certain way. But I think that what you're saying is for these dogs, you do want a lot of personality. We want a lot of personality, yeah. And it's all about them and all about them wanting to do it. And I tell you, it's the funniest thing because once these dogs start to train, they kind of know when Saturday's coming around, right? And and they know that we're getting ready to go to training. When we put on our uniform, they know that uniform. They get excited, and they they beat us to the door to beat us to the car to go to training, you know? That's how much fun it is for them. What have you learned about the relationship between human and animal doing this? Is there anything that really stands out in that arena? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had no idea before um, doing search and rescue that a dog and a human could get so close, right? Um, uh, you know, as, as, as Terry mentioned earlier, it can take up to two years to 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 certify. And, and that, that time, uh, you know, it's that time that you develop to um, to know them, right, and to know what they do. So every dog does something differently uh, when they have the scent of the victim, right? Um, some dogs will wag their tail. Some 
dogs will point their ears or their their fur will stand up or they'll stiffen. We don't know what that is. Every dog is different. And what we require is that handler to know what that dog does when they get the scent of the victim, whether they have interest, like they're getting close, or it's a full-on alert, which is our victim is right here and we're having that party, right? And so we have to, you know, we, we don't just, you know, follow along happily, you know, staring at that dog, right? Our job is to know when our dog has that scent and, and, and help them if they need that. So if we have a victim that's, that's hidden, you know, or, or in an area where we can't get to, or if it's a collapsed building and we happen to be in a room next to them, We've got to be able to tell if our dog has something, mm. right, that we need to continue to, to explore further and certainly to tell the calling agency, hey, we've got something in this area. Let's, you know, let's dig and, and try to get them out. Um, that's why that's why it takes so long. Uh, this organization is going to be operating in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Mm-hmm. But for the dogs, it's a game and it's a party. And mm-hmm. when they do their job, they need to be rewarded. And the dogs are stoked that they did their job, no matter <laughs> yeah. if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Right. How do you, in, let's say in the more somber settings, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that aspect of it? Because when you find a victim, whatever they may be a victim of, mm-hmm. it's a party for no one but that dog. Correct. So how do you, that reward system that they need... How do you distribute that in such tense situations? Well, um, so we do train them in HRD um, prior, obviously, before they're certified to go out on a regular, you know, real search, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And the dog doesn't know if it's training or if it's a real search. So the only the only way that they would know is is our behavior. If they sent something different in us, right? So it is a somber um, deal. But anybody that's a first responder, you know, I'm sure a lot of people can tell you. You just have to kind of turn that switch off, mm. you know, while you're working. Um, it may come up later, and usually it does. Um, but as far as the dog's concerned. They have no idea. And we have one command for any type of search, whether we're looking for a live victim where the victim's going to participate in that party or the victim may be unconscious. We get we get some of that. Right. Um, um, the dog doesn't really know the difference. They just know that once they're successful and they find the source of that scent or they find a human scent, whether it's alive or dead, um, they get rewarded regardless. Is it constant training for the dogs, or once they're trained up, you just got to make sure that they're, let's say, getting the reps in and mm-hmm. going out and doing this stuff, or is it always training? It, there's always training. It never stops. It's a skill like anything else that we want to keep up. And again, the dog never loses the ability to, to scent, um, but it's that handler and that dog, that canine, being able to continually work together. Because you can develop some bad habits. You don't realize it, right? Once you become certified, I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. Um, you can start to develop bad habits. So just like police and fire and, in, and military and anybody else that trains heavily, they know that to keep a skill up, you have to train all the time, and we train all the time. It might be tough, but what is an example of a bad habit that a, a, a handler could get into in the search and rescue game? Well, um, sometimes because we're human, we want to sometimes take over that search, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and we might know better. And if, if our dog is telling us something that I don't think the victim would have gone in there, you know, um, uh, we had a search where um, the victim was in a creek and, and, the, and the team was up high, right? And it was like, there was a fence, right? So how in the world, you know, the dog said, I've got scent here. And the team was like, okay, there's a, there's a fence here, you know, 
sure the dog wouldn't. So it's it's second guessing the dog. And uh, we actually have a saying. We have T-shirts made up and that says, trust your dog. No matter what, trust your dog. Don't try to take over. He's the one with the nose. He knows or he she or she knows. Right. And sure enough, um, uh, once we started, you know, using flashlights to search the area that we thought because there's a fence, there's nobody there. Sure enough, we found that victim. So when she was alive. Is being shocked by what these dogs are able to do pretty common or do you get used to it? Oh, no. And that's what's so exciting about it because every time, no matter how many searches you do and how many searches you've done in in a training session on a Saturday morning, Every time it's that excitement, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just, a, it, you know, the party's for them, mm-hmm. but it's so much fun for us. And, and it's something you never get tired of. And it doesn't matter if there's lots of stickers out there and it's raining or it's so hot, you, you know, you're like dying from the heat. You know, it, once that we have that find and that uh, that dog finds that victim, it, everything is forgotten. And, you're, you know, it's the best place in the world to be. <laughs> I'm speaking with Michelle Benjamin. She's the canine unit captain for Lone Star Search and Rescue I learned that you guys have different disciplines, let's say, when you're when you're on a search. You mm-hmm. have urban environments, you have wilderness environments. Correct. There's certain you're maybe searching for cadavers, maybe uh-huh. searching for live people. Correct. But one of the ones that was mentioned was water. Yes. And it seems like this is a completely different ball game than really anything else. What separates that from everything else and why is it so difficult to train for? Well, water is different because obviously the dog can't put paws on. So the dog and the team are in a boat. And, uh, and what the dog is scenting off of would be as the body is in the water. I don't know how descriptive you want me to get, but something happens when our bodies, we have gases that escape and those gases go to the surface of the water and they burst. Those little bubbles burst. Right. That's what the dog smells. And so when we put a dog in the high probability area, right, you know, POD, we call it probability of detection, an area where somebody last saw the person go under, right? So that's a point last seen. Um, uh, and we'll actually have do sweeps, you know, perpendicular to the wind in that area, um, you know, waiting for the dog to, to get that scent. And um, very important, as you can imagine, because it's so subtle because again, we everything looks the same in the water. All we can tell is what the dog might be doing differently if they do have that interest or they have that full-on alert. And that's where we can tell if they've got the scent of where that victim might be underwater. When water was first mentioned, I was thinking maybe dealing with creeks or rivers or body. You're talking about getting a dog in a boat mm-hmm. and looking at a large body of water. Correct. Are all dogs built for that? Because well, I can see maybe you throw them on a boat and they're kind of like, <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> well, not all dogs uh, do, and they don't have to. I mean, we cross-train our dogs, but water is not a requirement. If they want to do water, then we'll train them on water. Um, but we encourage it because, um, you know, HRD, we all smell the same when, you know, when we're deceased, right? So it, to them, it's the same if it's on land or it's in water. It's just a different, um, it's mainly for that handler to be able to tell because the, the dog can't move anywhere, right? It's just that boat. Mm-hmm. And it's what is that? dog doing you know to to tell you that they have that scent of that victim that's under that water so how do you teach a dog to go for those scents um well it's it's kind of funny and I'll, I'll give my dog an example so um you know we train everybody on live first because that's the most fun right and that's where they start to use their nose to find a, a human um when we start training hrd what's funny is that they understand that that's a human scent but like my dog, Charlie, um, it took her a little longer to, to get it, if you will, because every time she got the scent of the HRD and we just use bones or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever we can <laughs> don't get donated or purchase. Um, she kept running around looking for the source of the, that scent. Mm. In her mind, she was looking for somebody that could get up and, 
you know, give her a party, right, and say, good girl. Sure. Um, uh, and that, and then it, it was just, you know, it was just a um, uh, an amazing moment when she finally realized, oh, that's it. And, and, and how I, you know, how we had to help her was to, you know, she got that scent and we had to keep closing her in onto that scent. And then the minute her nose touched that source, praise, 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 big party, big treat, you know, good girl, you're the best search dog in the world, kind of a thing. And that, and they, and she, and you can see the look on her face. It's almost like, oh, you know, she finally, you know, is that understanding. Mm -hmm. That's where it can be a little difficult is teaching a dog, you know, something differently related to, to HRD versus live. But once they get it, they always have it, right? What is the reward system for the dogs when you're training them or even out in the field? Treats, is it just a lot of love. What do you guys do? Well, um, uh, treats or toys. It's whatever that motivates that dog. We have dogs on the team that that could care less about a treat. Other dogs that will do anything for that treat. So what is it that will motivate them? And we uh, so if it's a toy, then that's the toy they get. And we actually encourage our handlers not to use that toy outside of actual training because we want to make it special. And the mm. same thing with the treat, the treats that we use for training, we don't give them any other time because we want them to be, oh, my gosh, that's the best thing in the world. I'll do anything for that. I'll find whoever you want for that particular reward. And then along with that treat or that that toy um, would come the praise. And it's a big, high-pitched, good girl, you know, that kind of stuff that we encourage our handlers to do. It's especially difficult for the men because they have to get their voice in that high-pitched. I bet that's hilarious <laughs> making them do that in training, though. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> when the dogs are off the clock, yeah. you know, as was mentioned, you live with these dogs. Oh, yeah. They don't have a special kennel. This is this is a, our pets. This uh, yeah, they're your family animals. Exactly. So what are they like around the house? Oh, they're they're kind of crazy because again, you know, you have to have a certain personality, and it's just funny to to see them interact. You know, we have three. You know, um, uh, Ranger. You know, Terry's dog, and then Charlie, my Aussie, and then um, uh, you know, Ranger's at seven. So in two or three years, he might be ready to retire. So we actually rescued a border collie puppy in December. And she's wild and crazy. So, <laughs> so it's just dogs going nuts it's all the time. It's just dogs playing and doing their thing. Yeah. Is there any way to get them to relax, or is that just out of the question? No. Oh no. No. And we don't really want to temper that um, sure. because we don't want it to hurt search and rescue. Um, so we we try to give them lots of activity, lots of playtime, lots of ball throwing. You know that kind of stuff just to just to wear them out, if you will. <laughs> when, when a when a handler is looking for a new dog, mm -hmm. how do you know this is the dog? Because we're talking about a years long commitment. Mm -hmm. How do you know? It's, again, you know, we encourage the handler to look at different sources, mostly rescue. All of our dogs, except for one, is a rescue because um, there's so many good dogs out there that can do this job. And then if they find them, then we'll go to them. You know, if they already have a dog um, uh, that they've rescued or just have a dog and they think they, they might be great for search and rescue, then we'll actually go to their environment and test them for them. Um, like I said, we, we ask our new members if they do want to become a handler. Again, it's not the only job we have. You can do a lot of different things. But if you do want to do a be a handler, we ask them to be a flanker for six months. Again, just to be able to learn search and rescue, learn what other dogs do, how other handlers work. But we'll, at the beginning of that, though, we will test. If they have a dog, we'll test that dog for them. And if they don't have a dog, we'll actually help them, you know, search out and, uh, and pick a, you know, select a dog that will work best. You said you started as a flanker and it really helped you to understand mm -hmm. the whole process. Exactly. 
Was that six months as being a, a flanker before you learned training? Was that something that you instituted because you saw it work so well for you personally? Exactly. Well, and but I was actually I was I was dedicated to being a flanker. I mean, I didn't want to be a handler, and I was a flanker for years, right? And it was one day the director of our previous team um, made a decision with her dog that impressed me so much, and then I saw that connection that she had with her dog and, and what my husband had with his that I, I decided that's the day that I wanted that too, and that's why I became a handler. But um, but with our new teams we've been in existence for five years that's what we found works best if you know don't come in right away as a handler because you really need to learn search and even if you have a background in the military or even in law enforcement great for us by the way or if you're an emt or whatever right um uh great for us but we still need you to understand how the teams work together right and to be able to get that well-rounded experience on different searches before actually training that dog and we find our most successful teams are those that do that six months and then start training a dog. We could talk for another hour because I feel <laughs> yes. like I only have more questions, but unfortunately we want to wrap up. Lone Star is always looking for more people. If you want to be a part yeah. of this organization, what's the best way to do that? Um, we um, post our training on our Facebook page. So facebook.com forward slash Lone Star S-A-R. And, uh, and so we'll post that every week where we're going to be that Saturday. We take about one Saturday a month off, right, just to give our teams a break. Um, but we'll post where we're going to be. And we just encourage folks just to come out, check us out. No commitments at all. No no pressure, nothing. We just come out, see what you think, you know, be a victim, as you talked about before, or be a, a, a flanker, run as, run with the dogs, just to see what you think about it all before you make that decision. Um, and but and if you do make that decision, we do everything. We provide all of the training that you need, all the classroom instruction, mm. as well as all the field work to to get you to a point where you can be certified and what we call mission ready. And mission ready means you can go out and be um, be a part of a, a real search. If you had to guess right now, what is Charlie probably doing? <laughs> she's probably not happy because she's at home <laughs> right now. She's probably pacing, uh, mad that, that I'm not there. <laughs> she needs a job to do. She needs a job to do. <laughs> I've been speaking with Michelle Benjamin. She's the canine unit captain for Lone Star Search and Rescue. You can find them online at LoneStarSAR.org. It was great speaking with you. you I too, hope that Nick. you come back. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 